Well, Merry Christmas and welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am so glad that you have come along for this. Thanks too to all of my uh, listeners who are regularly tuning in and download or watch this on YouTube. It means so much to me that there's been this audience that's developed around this. And many of you I have never met. And it's been such a blessing to connect you to some resources. One of the jobs I think I have in doing this podcast on platform content creation ministry is that it gives me an opportunity to kind of curate some content, things that I'm reading, influences I've had, things that I've worked through, things that I'm working through, and be able to share them with people. So I just wanted to take some time uh, to have a short Christmas episode. I'm doing this live on Facebook and then publishing it the next week, the week ahead of Christmas. Um, this is coming out the same day that I posted a few other podcasts, uh, or at least one of the podcasts, and we'll see if we have a few more of these that come up. Um, I like to do these live things every now and then that gives us an opportunity to connect with some people. And who knows, maybe we'll bring some folks on live here. I want to also say, of course, thanks to everybody who has who have been sponsors of my podcast. It's been a real blessing to have Keith Waters, Bill Roberts, of course, Wesley Biblical Seminary um, coming alongside us. And I have two other anonymous donors who have helped make the podcast happen. And um, just this year, we've entered in the process of developing it as a more to the story ministries, as a nonprofit, something that we're able to put together just as a way to be able to like officially put this t together. And then I'm thankful too to Sarah Moore, who helps me with some of the technical, on the technical side of sending out emails and posting some of the things we do. And then of course, also to Jeff Bacus, who helps me edit some of the, um, the videos and the audio as well. There's a fair amount of work that happens with this, but we're so, I'm so thankful for the opportunity that I have to have conversations with the people, sometimes speak to some issues that are happening in the life of the church as it's connected to my audience, which in some ways is a, a, a certain very particular group. It's some people who are just broadly connected to me and who are my friends, but it's also connected to folks who are in the what is now being identified more as the pan-Wesleyan movement or the pan-Wesleyan world. And that is like the denominations connected to the evangelical revival of the 18th century of John and Charles Wesley. And then particularly those who are, are kind of coming from, historically coming from the holiness movement, the 19th century holiness movement, which the denomination I've been a part of, the Salvation Army, is a part of that tradition. But so are other denominations like uh, Congregational Methodist, Association of Independent Methodist, Free Methodist, Wesleyans, Nazarene, and I think the Global Methodist Church that is emerging as a result of the split of the United Methodist Church is in that tradition as well. But all of it is not just rooted to the sake of for the sake of those traditions, but of course this kind of broad movement of um, the gospel in general and the universal church. So that's all connected to that. But I, I've, I've figured out a little bit about my audience. Um, over the past year and a half, half of it, as I've had this podcast, that that's who's a part of it. Now, here's one way you can help me. If you're a regular listener, beyond subscribing on YouTube or on a, whatever podcast uh, app you use, after Christmas, the week after Christmas, I'm going to be sending out a survey to everybody who's on my email list. And thank you to everybody who's joined my email list. You can sign up for that, by the way, at andymillerthethird.com. And I send out a free resource to people once they get on that list. And if you haven't got it, I'll be glad to send it to you, which is five steps to deeper teaching and preaching. Um, thanks everybody who's responded to that. Thank you for uh, you know accessing that and being interested in that resource. Nevertheless, like what we do with that email list, I'm gonna send out, 
I, I send out probably two or three times a month some type of information to people, encouraging folks to you know access different things that we're producing and more to the story. But I'm going to send out a survey and there will be a prize. I am going to give away a stack of books this high. I'll have my two books, which aren't that thick, but a few other books that publishers have given me as a result of like having people on the podcast. So if you liked some of the people we've had, Jay Warner Wallace, David Clark, um, who else? What other books do I have to give away? Well, I have a few other books to give So I have a stack of books that I'm going to give away. I'll take a picture of it. I'll let you know. If you fill out the survey, you enter into the contest for winning that stack of books, and I'll send them to you free of charge. So we'd love for you to take a look at it. Here's what I want to figure out. Like I want to figure out exactly, as best I can, who is in the audience and where are you? What denominations are you from? Like, what are you interested in? I did a survey at the very beginning of the podcast when it was mainly people connected to the Salvation Army, which is, I, I think, still a, a bulk of my audience. Nevertheless, like, I want to make sure that I'm doing things that are interesting to you. And I'm looking at the possibility of developing another course. Um, I, I put together the contender course this past summer, which was the study of the Book of Jude, that six weeks course. It's a video-based course online. You go on and you can like walk through the modules with a small group. There are various questions. Oh, I see a few people on here. Jamie Hood coming. To, I think you come from France or Switzerland or whatever. Uh, uh, Jonathan, also Catalia. Um, glad to have you guys on here. Um, that course is available for folks. And here's the announcement today. I am uh, offering that course for people getting ready, particularly as they're trying to think what they're going to do in their churches or their small groups, Sunday school classes in the new year. Um, from December 15th, which is today, through December 31st, it's 50% off. And so the code for that is 2023, 2023. So if you go in and you access that, um, that, that will be available for you. So that's available for 50% off to get that course. And it's been something, it's been fun for me to know, like particularly, it seemed to be Wednesday nights where when people were using it. And there was a, at one point, I knew of a six or seven different churches that were using a contender course at the same time. And they were generally about the same place in that course. So that was pretty cool for people to be able to experience that. And the reason I, I really love the book of Jude and why it's been so enriching to me is that I think it speaks really powerfully to the challenges of our time. Like it, it speaks right to the issues of the sexual revolution, about the nature of the gospel and the, the revelation of God's word, uh, God, uh, God's revelation through scripture. Um, and then of course, the challenge of the divisive group of leaders who Jude says have secretly slipped in. And I feel like that's what we're dealing with not just in the life of the church, but with society. And so I was really thankful I had the opportunity to develop that course and so many people could access it. But as we're getting into to, toward the new year, I want people to be able to get it again. And sometimes a way to bring, bring it to people's attention is to offer a, a sale on it. So it's going to be 50% off from December 15th through December 31st. I don't know if it's a great Christmas gift, but you could offer it as a Christmas gift. Um, I, I'd be glad for you to do that. Obviously, obviously, feel free, feel free to give it as a Christmas gift if you'd like. So uh, I was saying that because I'm looking to develop another course. And, and to do that, I need to find out what you guys are interested in. And so if you're able to take time to do this survey, you'll be entered into a contest to win something, or even whatever type of podcast, um, content you're inter interested in. I've gone more toward 
the interview podcast. I thought I would have done more content by myself, but it was almost easier, for, it's been easier for me to develop it. And I also like the idea of me being able to bring you people who I think are interesting, people who have helped me intellectually, spiritually, um, in my own interpretation of scripture and understanding theology. I'd love to get, get that information to you. So one of the ways that I can do that it's just by getting these interesting people on and talking to them. And I, it's been interesting to me, like the ones that, some of the bigger name people are not the ones that get downloaded the most. That's always, that's kind of been an interesting thing for me. Um, nevertheless, like I'm really glad for the opportunity to find out what you might be interested in. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe the things I think that you might like, you don't like. So anyways, that, that survey will be coming out and it mean a lot to me if you're able to complete that survey to give us an idea. And then... I have you know four or five ideas of new courses that I'm interested in developing, and I just wanted to get y'all's feedback on that. So that's coming out. Um, also, there is um, some people have expressed interest in like doing something a little different, of like having some exclusive content that we could produce and put out on a monthly basis. So I'm experimenting with the idea of having um, more to the story members, um, and like having like a five or ten dollar. Uh, charge for that where people like want maybe want the support they can't quite be a sponsor like sponsors end up spot you know they get like a, a little opportunity for me to like read something they they've written or communicate um some of their message so um if you're if that's something that's interesting i wouldn't mind you telling me like i i feel a little silly doing that but i i think there are people who enjoy the podcast of course one of the things that happens as you have a, as an audience comes together um, there, there are things that I wonder every now and then, like, oh, I feel badly asking for things or asking you to complete a survey. But I know people, there, there's a group of people who really appreciate what's going on. And if you'd like to do something else uh, at, a, at a higher level, get different type of things that I produce on a monthly basis, I'm interested in exploring that. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm definitely interested in doing that. So I got those podcast announcements out of the way. What I wanted to do today is I want to talk about a few issues, a few things that have come up, and a few things that have been interesting to me. Um, one, I'm going to share a little bit of a, a short article from G.K. Chesterton that I think, this was written in 1950, toward the end of his life, but I think that is speaks to what's happening in our society right now and uh, then a little bit from Ezekiel, and then a, a few thoughts I have about what's happening in the United States with the um, uh, the marriage uh, uh, law that has been instituted at the federal level. So I just wanted to, to walk through a few of those things, and that will be what, what's happening today. So first, let's just talk through this, uh, the Defense of Marriage Act that was struck down, and so now there is this situation that has arisen, and I, one of the things I would just love to just briefly highlight is that oftentimes we we see a distinction um, and people make a distinction. Well, the church has this and the church has nothing then to say really about what happens in the life of a society or a government. And I've been really impressed and thankful for the arguments that I've heard from some political, not, some legal scholars that have helped me think through what marriage is and why marriage exists at a governmental civil level. And those are some of you might not might not already know, like people like uh, Princeton um, legal philosopher Robert B. George or somebody like Ryan T. Anderson. Um, 
those argument, their arguments that they make are really helpful to me. And it's outside, it's not exactly outside of theology, but it's not an argument that's a theological argument. So kind of the essence of it is that governments recognize, they don't institute, they recognize marriage because of the role that it that marriage plays for the society. Okay, so let me, let me see if I can explain this as best I can. So they recognizes marriage. And, and when we say recognizing marriage, and all, all this is kind of brought because I think just yesterday or the day before, Joe Biden signed the um, um, marriage, marriage Act. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's the, the one that, um, that eliminates the Defense of Marriage Act, which was signed in like 1993 or something by Bill Clinton and um, like a, had a huge support across the board. But the reason governments recognize marriage is that marriage is a pre-political institution or pre-civilizational uh, institution. Now that's a wild statement, but saying it's pre-political kind of connects us to something that is related to how we exist as people in general, that this is not something that a government just puts together for its own sake, but instead like a government recognizes a marriage because of what it does for that society as a whole. Now, now that happens then, a government recognizes it because it plays a role in the perpetuation and the well-being of that society. It's not about feelings. It's not about us uh, romance. It's not about what happens in people's bedrooms exactly in the sense that it's it's not about how uh, people are are connected um, emotionally. It's not what happens necessarily in a, in a church, though the church has played a role in that. It's the fact that marriage has existed because marriage between one man and one woman for life is the best context for children to develop. And it's in that context that children come into the world. They are created. So a government recognizes the role of marriage in the society. And, and then of course the government does things. And this is where I'd like kind of like point you to people like, like Lyman Stone and his work on demographics and the birth rate, these these sort of things. Like, so he's a great person to follow on Twitter. Interesting enough, he's the son of one of my seminary professors, Lawson Stone. <clears throat> but the point of marriage in that society is to recognize and reward the perpetuation of the people in that society. So if that happens, then that's the context whereby children are able to be taken care of. Of course, there are exceptions to this, there are exceptions to why this might not always happen and why not might not always be in the ideal state. But a mother and the father, biological mother and a father, are the ones who are in a position to bring a child into the world, right? And there's no other way that that can happen. And if that's the case, then they're the ones who can provide the care and the love and support for that child. And that that's in the good of society. Society needs people. <laughs> society needs people. People that keep coming, the people to repopulate, people to function in an economy, people to be able to be a part of the, their, their society as a whole. So a government recognizes marriage because of what it does for the next generation of people who follow. A government does this because it's in a position to be able to create the best context for the next generation of people.
Okay. Then the other side of this, outside of the theological argument, which I haven't got to, or the biblical argument, marriage also does not exist for only our personal pleasure. Though if you look back, and if I could go back, even just grab the Salvation Army's liturgy for marriage ceremonies, you see some of this language. Like it does exist in part, there is a function for our personal happiness. But if our, if our cre children come into the world, our, don't come into the world just for to make us happy. This is where I point people back to a few podcasts I've already had. The first thing that comes to mind is my interview with Katie Faust and her organization, Them Before Us. Now, this podcast is interesting. It, it kind of caught on a little bit more a few months ago. I think she got on some bigger, <laughs> sorry to say, bigger podcast than mine. And then people maybe were searching for her name and they found my podcast. So if you're here because of that, welcome. Uh, at the same time, she, she emphasizes that too often what happens in decisions about uh, family life that it considers the, the abortion, same-sex marriage, any of the other kind of situations that come as a result of living outside of the union between one man and one woman, and, and that being the context, often what's happening is that the well-being or the interests of parents are put above the interest of the child. So it's in the context of marriage where there's an opportunity to think about the needs of the child. And the idea there, and then Katie Faust's argument is so clear uh, to think about the, the need that every child has to have a mother and a father. And she walks through exceptions to this. Nevertheless, like society has a job in being able to create the best environment for each of those children. And this is why, I mean, this is why in part, like the, this has been an institution that has existed for millennia. And this is in part why society hasn't even had to think about it, right? But what's happening now is that the, the kind of the interest of the individual, the individual adult are being exalted over the interest of children. Now, then uh, of course on the biblical and theological side, I, I've talked a lot about that, but I wanted to at least like address that a little bit from just the, how I think through this and, and the people who have been influential to me. Of course, I also had on, on the podcast, Dr. Tim Tennant to talk through his book, uh, um, For the Body. I just point people back to that, my interview with Katie Faust. Um, I have one coming out here early January with Trevin Wax and his book, The Thrill of Orthodoxy. That was a really helpful conversation. And that's a great book, by the way, too. And we ended up talking about these same um, these same things as well. Now, interesting enough, like part of that is to look at the great tradition of the church, like what the church has always affirmed. And one thing you can kind of always point back to is like the church has never not affirmed this. The church has like the church has always affirmed marriage. It's like just a, a little blip on the radar of history where this has been the case. And so, it, it, those are the reasons that I would like I very firmly disagree with the direction of our society and what's happening in the United States of America. Now, I know I've like, for, I don't know if Jamie Hood's still on there. I see some people who are in other countries and maybe the issue's not the same there, wherever you are. But anyways, we're working through some of that in this country at this point. Um, but the, kind of the biblical theological side, uh, I, th I have said multiple times on this podcast, it rests for me in like my belief that God exists in general. Like why is there something rather than nothing it's connected to the fact that God exists 
and God decided to create the world out of nothing, uh, that God, who has existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through all time, has decided to create the world. And if he's the creator of the world and has instituted categories and genders, uh, I'm going to lean into what he's created. Secondly, so it's like a doctrine of creation and the goodness of creation and the goodness of the human bodies a part of that, but also a doctrine of revelation. So creation and revelation. How has God revealed himself? How has he revealed himself in space and time? And, and we look at that in, in like in my traditions as we believe the scriptures of the Old New Testament, oh, Testaments or given by inspiration of God and they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice that God has shown us and primarily revealed himself through scripture. And I think like the, any arguments that move away from seeing scripture's authority as a basis, uh, any arguments that move away from marriage between one man and one woman can't stand on the authority of scripture. Now, I, I know that some people could, we could have, a, and we've done this on this podcast, I, I haven't ever found those arguments convincing at all. Um, and so, and then we lean into the history of the church as well. So those are, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little lighter on the biblical theological side here, but it just, I address this, I encourage people to pray. I don't know, I don't know what it's going to take. I know that like Roe versus Wade happened in the early seventies and here we are, you know, more than 50 years later, 50 years later, and maybe it's not quite 50 or maybe it's 49 years, but nevertheless, like so many years, about 50 years later when things were able to change. And I think the effects of the sexual revolution and the LGBTQ revolution, which is a part of that larger sexual revolution, um, it's going to have an impact. It's going to have an impact on society. And uh, like the great, I had that, that great, uh, I think it was a great uh, conversation. I don't know if it was a great conversation from my side, but I loved hearing from Glenn Scrivener um, about a month or so ago in his book, The Air That We Breathe, when he was on the podcast and he talked about the um, refugees of the sexual revolution, that we need to be prepared to serve people no matter, because likely there, there are some who will have gone through this and maybe they've spent a few years, like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this in the long term. I'm thinking like 50 years from now. Will I be alive in 50 years? I'm 42, uh, 92, maybe not. Okay, 30 years, 40 years. Um, I hope to be alive at 92. Like what's gonna happen when we realize the results of what has happened as a result of sexual revolution. When somebody decided to live at a gender opposite to their biological gender for five years, or they decided to take puberty blockers. And then in 20 years, we see what that's done to people. Like, I don't know if it's gonna be something like that that's gonna lead people back to uh, the wisdom of the centuries and the wisdom of scripture to see the better way. Um, but whatever it is, like we need to be ready to serve people. Uh, of course, I think, I think I've been clear of this, but I, I need to make sure I'm always like saying like, look, I want to make sure that being as open and welcoming to people, no matter what their experiences are, no matter how they come to a church or are connected to um, an institution like Wesley Biblical Seminary, where people are coming with their questions, where teenagers or adults are coming with their questions. Like, just because we ask questions doesn't mean that we're not willing to uh, work through them, or but still say that we have a foundation. So that's something that is at the foundation for me is to think that that's a part 
of how we go about serving. We want to be able to reach out, and particularly those who will be the refugees of this revolution, which is coming. And it might be some of that that leads us back to place. I kind of think at this point, and even with this recent move where this the Senate, and it was very unfortunate that people decided, uh, um, Republicans and the 10 Republicans in the Senate decided to make a move so that the that this would progress and then go through the House and then signed by Joe Biden. And even the conflicts there, um, and, and there's even some things at the Supreme Court now that are working through this, and, and it's related to speech. Um, same thing is happening, of course, as we deal with that situation as well. Like, um, as a, somebody who has been paid occasionally, I'm not, I, I hesitate to say I'm like a professional composer, but I have been paid to write music before. I wouldn't want to be told that I had to write a wedding processional for a same-sex wedding. And the same thing would be the case for a website or cake. This is speech. This is speech that cannot be coerced. Um, so I, I look at all of these things as con connected um, and it doesn't change the disposition that I want to see all people thrive. Um, and this isn't like with some of the cheap slogans that come around, like love is love, um, uh, as if like equality now is achieved because people can define words however they want with marriage or male or female and the like. So those are, those are things we work with. I, I might need to come back and say I could have nuanced something in this conversation a little differently, but I found some encouragement this morning in a short article by G.K. Chesterton from 1950. And I, I, when I saw the title, I was not quite sure I was gonna get into it or if I was gonna get into it or not. <clears throat> but it's from his book, The Common Man. Not, here's, the, here's the book, actually. This is just a collection of ex essays um, in defense of sanity, essays of G.K. Chesterton. There's also some other collected volumes that I've really liked through the years. But this essay is called Two Stubborn Pieces of Iron. Two stubborn pieces of iron, and apparently, like what he was addressing at the time was in in the UK, there was a move toward um, uh, not having co-education with girls and boys together. Uh, there was a, oh, there was a move to have that actually. It wasn't existing, so they were in the same way. They were trying they were trying to make that more regular in the society. So I'm going to read just a little portion of this and comment along the way. I think you'll be able to tell when it's G.K. Chesterton and when it's me. <clears throat> Everyone must agree with co-education for very young children. This is a little ways into the article. And I cannot believe that even for elder children, it would do great harm. But that is because I think the school is not so important as people think it nowadays. The home is really in the important thing and always will be. So then he kind of moves along here to highlight the distinction between sexes. And as he goes through this, what he's able to do is kind of highlight why there's some, some strengths and there being separation in school, uh, in schools between boys and girls. Now, uh, he, he says like, okay, according to primary school, early school, this is, this is a fine thing. Um, so he says, the sexes can work together in a schoolroom just as they can breakfast together in a breakfast room, but neither makes any difference to the fact that the boys go off to a boyish companionship, which the girls would think disgusting, very true, while the girls go off to a girl companionship, which the boys would think literally insane. Co-educate as much as you like. There will always be a wall between the sexes until love or lust breaks it down. 
So what is it that breaks it down? Love or lust, right? There, there's gonna be this distinction, like biologically, we're gonna end up being drawn, like this is, society is gonna bring, um, our human nature is gonna bring men and women together. Your co-educative playground for pupils in their teens will not be a place of sexless camaraderie. It will be a place where boys go about in fives, sulking, growling at the girls, and where the girls go about in twos, turning up their noses at the boys. But if you have any idea that co-education would do more than parade the sexes in front of each other twice a day, if you think it would destroy their deep ignorance of one another or start them on a basis of rational understanding, then I say, first, that this will never happen. And second, that I, for one, should be horribly annoyed if it did. So this is, this is an interesting moment. Like he's stepping into this place of suggesting that like there is going to be, there is a deep ignorance between the differences of men and women. And he's saying that this is a good thing. It's good that boys don't understand girls and even people when they get married don't understand each other. So then he moves on. I, I, I think this argument takes a, a unique twist. And so, so hang on, I've never done this before. Maybe people won't like it that I'm reading an article and kind of commenting on it. Those of you who are just coming in here, I'm reading a G.K. Chesterton article called Two Stubborn Pieces of Iron. And this is, there's always a place whenever I read a Chesterton essay or chapter where even if I'm by myself, I just laugh a little bit. And so <clears throat> this is one of those places come up in this next paragraph. The argument is this, that the differences between a man and a woman are at the best so obstinate and exasperating that they are practic they, that they practically cannot be got over unless there is an atmosphere of exaggerated tenderness and mutual interest. To put it, put to put the matter in one metaphor, and this is where he gets the title. To put the matter in one metaphor, the sexes are two stubborn pieces of iron. If they are to be welded together. It must be while they are red hot. Okay, so like two stubborn pieces of iron that just don't, I mean, it's so different, so contrary. And I'm kind of reminded, it's my 11-year-old daughter who comes back from her, um, where we homeschool our kids and she's in a program where on Friday she's with, with a kind of class of people her age. And even at this point still, it's like, uh, boys, they're so Awful, like she just like two, but but the d distinctions, right? Notice the distinctions. He says that the two stubborn pieces of iron, if they are welded together, it must be while they are red hot. So, okay, he goes on. He said every woman has to find out that her husband is a selfish beast, because every man is a selfish beast by the standard of a woman. And this is, again, just highlighting the distinctions between men and women. Like, it's okay to say that there are distinctions. But let her find out the beast, well, but let her find out the beast while they are both still in the story of beauty and the beast. Every man has to find out that his wife is cross. That is to say, sensitive to the point of madness. For every woman is mad by the masculine standard, but let him find out that she is mad while her badness is more worth considering than anyone else's sanity. So, so like, it's basically saying like, we don't know enough about each other to realize that we probably wouldn't even want to be together. Like, like it's just like, and I think people, I think Ab Abby and I both read this together and uh, she's 
I don't know if she said I could say this, but I think she agreed with me. Like, if we knew all that we were getting into, we might not have done it. And I, some of you might have, my friends on my personal Facebook page saw I just got a puppy two weeks ago. Our family did. First time we had a puppy. And even if you watch a video of me, I'm so proud. I love this cute little thing. I still love it. But when I, I took a video, like just a less than 24 hours having the puppy and I pulled him out, I kissed him, I loved him. Well, the last week and a half has been pretty hard uh, with that puppy. Um, because he poops in my house and, and trying to work through some of that and get this dog trained. And we have, we've, we are on a streak right now. I think we're at 30, I don't know if we're quite, we're more than 24 hours, maybe closer to two days without him pooping in the house, which seems a miracle. But if you would have asked me, I would have never had a puppy, a puppy if I realized even what these two weeks would have been like. And the same thing, I mean, it could be true with children in marriage. Like there is something about the distinction that we don't quite understand. And that's why he says like these two pieces of iron, they need to come together when they're red hot. Then he adds this, um, this is not a digression. The whole value of the normal relations of man and woman lies in the fact that they first begin really to criticize each other when they first begin really to admire each other. And a good thing too, I say with a full sense of the responsibility of the statement that it is better that the sexes should misunderstand each other until they marry. Okay, remember like his point here, in this article is to highlight like why it's okay to um, separate boys and girls in school. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating for that, but that's the nature of what he's saying. But I think it, it highlights kind of where we are as a society. It's better that they should not have the knowledge until they have the reverence and the charity. We want no premature and puppyish knowing all about girls, right? Some people, of course, some guys like, oh, I know everything. Like, yeah, right, okay. Um, we do not want the highest mysteries of a divine distinction to be understood before they are desired and handled before they understood. That, which Mr. Shaw, he's talking about Bernard Shaw, author of Major Barbara, um, and other things, uh, what Mr. Shaw calls the life force, but, for which Christianity has more philosophical terms, has created this early division of tastes and habits for that romantic purpose, which is also the most practical of all purposes. To those God has sundered, shall no man join. Um, what, a, what a fun turn of phrase that is. Like those God has sundered. God has separated the sexes. Let's not try and put them together. Let's not try and mess with what God has done. And there's a way that this is a part of the order of creation. I think that that's what he's getting at in a humorous way. Then he ends with this, just another sentence or two. It is therefore a question of what are really the co-educators' aims. If they have small aims, some convenience in organization, some slight improvement in manners, they know more about such things than I. But if they have large aims, I am against them. So I think it's a fun article. I just encourage you to you know, pick up those type of things. All right, one more thing. This is the first time I've done this type of uh, just me live podcast type of thing. Um, I, I also wanted to share something that maybe isn't always thought of like as an Advent or Christmas passage, but one that I thought um, might still speak to the theme of Jesus coming and what this time of year means. Um, I finished my Bible reading plan. I encourage you, if you don't have a plan to read the Bible this year, to do it. To um, uh, As you're getting this, you have time maybe to Google like Bible reading plan and figure out. Generally, you can do 10 to 15 minutes a day and get through the Bible in a year. 
I've been, I was kind of humbled into this in 2004, Dr. Ellsworth Callis really pushed me in a preaching class to make sure I was seeking to do something. Uh, if I'm gonna be preaching the Bible, I need to know it. And so since that time, I've read the Bible through every year and it's a blessing. I don't say that in any way to brag as much as it is, like, I just wanna share the blessing with people to seek it out, to give it a try. And um, so in reading the Bible through every year, I've, I finished my plan about a week ago. And now I can just go back through and read the passages that I want to read, uh, or just that are kind of fun. And so I use the kind of the lectionary resource that I have right now. It's like a, a modified version of the Book of Common Prayer um, that the Nazarene publishers put it together called like 30 Days with Wesley. Um, and this was the passage that they had me read. And so it's Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones. And there's this moment... Um, it, it's Ezekiel 37, verse 7, where it says this. Um, after God, after the Lord commands Ezekiel to go and prophesy, where it actually happens. And so he's, it says, verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, what I was interested in this passage is that he was told to prophesy, and he did it as he was commanded, but nothing happened right then. It wasn't like he had a sign that, okay, this is all gonna come together. Like, don't worry, it's, it's, just, it's gonna be there. He had to act on it first. He had to go out and actually prophesy. So it says, so I prophesied as I was commanded, but it was as he prophesied. Notice what it says here in verse seven. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And maybe somebody today just needs to hear the word, uh, that word that they need to just be obedient to the voice of God in their life. That you need to just take a step and say, I'm gonna start prophesying to a valley of de dead bones. This doesn't look like there's much life here. There's not much that can come from this. But if in obedience, if you respond, it might be that after you start prophesying or after you start obeying, that you see a response. That, that as you prophesy, there's a sound and behold, a rattling. And look, we're in this point of Advent, which I'm just always so reminded how we're celebrating Jesus' coming in a, as a baby, the incarnation, but we're also, most importantly, looking to his coming again. And, and there's a way that we, we kind of know, we do know because we know of Jesus' existence. And I kind of even talked about some of that when I was talking about sexuality a few minutes ago. That, that what we know, like how we can know what we know, that because of his coming, like we have a first fruit, so to speak. Jesus is the first fruits of, the resur of our resurrected bodies. First fruits of a new creation. But yet we're still waiting. Like we're still not sure. But Advent is a time where we hear the rattling of those bones. Like it's, there's this sense like, yeah, God did something. And not only did he do something, he is going to do something when he returns and puts everything right that is wrong in the world 
And there's a lot that's wrong in the world. And we've talked about some of those things. And, you know, I, I'm certain I didn't give it the comprehensive description that it, all those things needed that I talked about. But yet there's like a, a little sign that in our obedience that we can look to Jesus's action, how Jesus stepped into the world and did something about the problems of the world and did that ultimately on the cross and defeated death, was raised to new life and ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sits in power, ruling over the universe and is available for us right now. The incarnation is like the first little rattle, a sense that something's coming, that the bones are coming together. And then of course, a sign too of the Holy Spirit. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the graves. This is a, a prefiguring of the resurrection. Oh, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I opened your graves and raise you from your graves, oh, my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. I trust that God wants to do something in your life. Thankful for coming for you coming along and being a, the part of this audience and more to the story podcast. If you wouldn't mind, just you know, following various things that we do. And if you get this survey, if you're on my email list, I really appreciate it if you could do that email list. Uh, so, um, do not the email list, sorry. Do the survey that I'm sending to the email list. Um, for those of you who are alive and check this out, thanks for coming on. God bless you all.